Ion 2020 episode 90. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. Everybody right here, your host of Ion 2020, your news source for the 2020 elections, the place that I bring you uh, Monday through Friday, the news and related events with regards to the 2020 presidential election. And as we build up, I will be continuing to bring you this show Monday through Friday. So I appreciate you if you're listening for the first time, as well as those that continue to return. I see the listenership growing every single day. So I appreciate you sharing the show with all your friends and also uh, go ahead and, you know, those that subscribed. And if you would like to hear the show tomorrow, go ahead and subscribe to the show. And then you'll be able to hear me tomorrow and uh, the commentary that I have on this election that's coming up. If it's anything like it has been in the past with 2016, uh, it'll definitely be exciting. The 2016 election is probably the most viewed election in a long time just because of the, uh, you know, there was a lot of controversy going on with Hillary Clinton as well as with Donald Trump. Lots of, uh, tweets and things like that. I think it was the Twitter election. You know, it was the first Twitter election. Yeah, back in, I think it was 2004 or so, you started seeing the internet playing a key role in the elections. Maybe it was 2000. And then 2004, you start seeing that. But then by 2012, you start seeing Facebook and stuff uh, getting involved, you know, with, with lots of posts on Facebook and so forth, but by 2016, man, that was just all Twitter every single day, and if you follow these candidates in their Twitter feeds, you will see that they are all using Twitter now, and uh, that's exciting to see, you know, the things that they are posting, but most of these guys, it seems like all they're posting every single day, like Elizabeth Warren, for example, her biggest thing the last week or so has been free college education for students, uh, paying off student loans and so forth. And she posts probably six or seven a day on the promises that she's going to hand out. So, and that's easy for these people to do, right? You got, what is it, 280 characters, 240 characters, something like that. And it's easy for these candidates to just sit there and throw out, you know, line after line after line about their promises. That's the easiest thing for them to do. They're lo just looking to buy votes, to listen to, look at the pander and so forth. One of the things that I started doing is I started just responding to these people with some realistic thoughts on these things. And then I put hashtag stop pandering behind it. And the reason why is because, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't think people actually read the, the responses that people give though. So some people do, I guess. Uh, I, I respond to Elizabeth Warren and always has the at Elizabeth Warren, you know, or whatever her Twitter handle is. And I've responded to a few of these as well. But uh, I don't think I'm changing any minds, though. I mean, I I think when you're doing that, you get the people that get defensive and so forth. They get into these long commentaries back and forth. I don't know if you call them arguments by any means, but it's one person trying to prove his thing, one person and me trying to prove my thing. And it never seems to... I'm not changing any minds. That's all I got to say. And I think Tom Woods, you always hear him about talking about him getting into these epic uh, Twitter wars and so forth. And 
and, and if you listen to the show, Tom Woods show, you know, sometimes he'll bring that up and so forth. And even somebody like him, who is probably the epitome of the intellectual genius when it comes to the libertarian movement, even he can't change people's minds on a regular basis as well on Twitter. Uh, but he'll get into these little wars back and forth and these, you know, bickering back and forth and so forth. And he is way more intellectual than me. You probably know that already if you listen to the show for a while. And if you listen to his show also, uh, he could put together an intellectual argument like nobody's business. And if he can't do it, I'm sure I can't do it either. But, you know, it's fun to just sit there. I just want to get the idea out there that these candidates just don't want, you know, they just continue to keep on pandering and pandering and pandering to their base. They're just trying to give out free stuff. And that's what they do. And I'm going to call them on it. I am. And I'm going to call them on it on the show. I'm going to call them on it on Twitter. I'm going to call them on it on Facebook or wherever else I'm at. Uh, you'll actually be able to find me on Facebook. And if you type an I on the Empire, you'll be able to find me there. You can also find me on Twitter, I on the Empire. And then I got www.ionthempire.com. And that's me. So uh, I, I run that page and I go ahead and I post little bits here and there on news stories and so forth that I find. Uh, with relating to the with, with relating to the 2020 elections, but also things that your empire is doing out there, uh, which is something I want to talk about today more on the Venezuelan Venezuelan crisis and the ideas that are going on down there with relations to our federal government. You know, trying to build up some, they're trying to get some steam going in this train that's leading towards you know an invasion of this country. It seems like to me, and you have uh, I think it was you know what was it yesterday i re- this is this is wednesday's show but yesterday you start seeing some news that vice president pence is going to start you know giving some more carrots put some carrots out there for these the military in venezuela to go ahead and kick maduro out and i'm not sure what those carrots are as of this as of the recording of this show i don't see anything out there on what these carrots are but what you were seeing is that the pres uh, the press has been saying that Juan Guaido is open to military intervention, open to an invasion, and that they're saying that he suggested that. And that's what I want to talk about just briefly because when I read the news article that I found on it, if you read it, the the headline on CBS News, and this is just showing you what I'm trying to pr- show here is this is just showing you that the news. CBS News and all of their news agencies that are reporting on this particular interview are positioning this thing in a way that sounds like Juan Guaido suggests that he's open to, you know, military intervention. When I read the quote that they're using to show this, I don't see it. I don't see him saying that he's open to a military intervention at all. Maybe he's suggesting something but I don't think he's suggesting the military invading. And by the way, even if Juan Guaido's okay with that, that's like saying Hillary Clinton's okay with Russia invading America because we elected Donald Trump. Like if that happened in this country, where after after 2016 the election happened and Donald Trump's about to take office, he's taking the oath of office, and the and Russia says, nope, we're, he's not the legitimate leader of America. We're recognizing Hillary Clinton as the legitimate leader of America. And they start building up troops on the Mexican border. They start building up troops on the Canadian border. Um, they, they send troops, you know, into America 
or excuse me, you know, like if, if there was just, if, if that, if the shoe was on the other foot and we were in that situation where Russia was trying to interfere in our election, we would, I mean, there would be huge national outbursts against Hillary Clinton. There would be huge national outbursts against Russia. We would all support Donald Trump. He would have 80, 90% approval ratings at that point. That's just the way it would be. Now, Juan Guaido, he is an opposition leader of Maduro. We talked about that yesterday. Um, and, there, you know, he's the recognized president by the United States. The United States is intervening in that country by saying that. The United States is clearly taking a side in an election and trying to influence an election. That's what the United States is doing. And we get pissed off in America that Russia was you know, buying Facebook ads to try to influence our election, right? But clearly America's doing that. And what the press is trying to do right here, this is what I'm, this is what I'm getting at, is that the press is positioning this as if Juan Guaido is okay with a military option, with a military intervention from the United States. But when I read the news article, this is the quote that they're using. So it says on CBS News, they said, One week after Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaido's calls for mass protests failed to incite a military uprising and force Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro out of office, Guaido has suggested to CBS News that he is open to a U.S. military intervention in his country. And this is the quote that they're saying. This is what he says. We are open to options that offer a low social cost and that will grant us the ability and the stability to hold a truly free election. Guaido told CBS News Adriana Diaz and Caracas. We want the best exit out of this conflict. And if there are options we have to consider in alternatives, then we will. I don't know. For, and that, that's it. That's what he said. And they're saying that this is him saying that it's okay to have an American military option. And I don't see that. I, I mean, when you break it down, he's saying we're open to options that offer low social costs and that will grant us the ability to and the stability to hold a truly free election. If past interventions, for example, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria... If, pa- if the past interventions that America has had in countries is any, you know, has anything to do with what's going to happen in Venezuela, you are not looking at low social costs. You are not looking at stability to hold a truly free election. And this guy would have to be an idiot to think that that is the case. That America invading Venezuela has low social costs and gives stability to a country because there is no stability in Libya right now. There is little stability in Syria. And the only thing that is keeping it together is the dictator that's there, to be honest. Like, somehow, I mean, I, I guess you have, uh, what is it, eastern Syria that's that's in shambles and so forth, which, you know, is, is caused by ISIS and so forth and things that are going on there. But Libya... Afghanistan. I mean, they are America. Seven, or eighteen years later, is now negotiating with the Taliban to take over the country again. So we spent trillions of dollars in Afghanistan 
getting rid of the Taliban, thousands of American lives getting rid of, rid of the Taliban, and now in NATO lives and so forth, so other countries as well, right? You spent trillions of dollars over there with thousands of lives, and now you're negotiating to get the Taliban back into power because they were able to keep the damn country under control back in 2001 and previous to that. So if there's any, if, if history has any bearing on the present, literally, if, if, we in, if the United States invades this country, you're not going to have stability in that country. So this, you know, I just don't see how they would say that Juan Guaido is suggesting that an American military option is a good thing. I don't. But that's the way that the press is presenting this thing right now. And it is not true. He did not suggest that. And if he did, he's just a delusional or he's obviously a politician that wants power. And I would not put it past a politician to want power. That's the way the politicians are. They want power. They say, oh, yeah, it's for the children. They say, oh, yeah, we want to make sure that, you know, this country is moving forward and that things are good and whatever else. But really, they want power. And he wants power, democratic power. What I just, uh, but what he's, he's definitely not suggesting, in my opinion, from what I read there, that he wants a military option. Um, but you know what? That's the way that the news is going to frame it because that drumbeat for war is there. That's the way that the politicians in America are going to frame it that are looking to go to war. And definitely the war hawks are on board with that as well because I apparently their stock in Lockheed Martin and other countries or other companies uh, that are the war industrial complex are going to benefit from another war in Venezuela, especially a long drawn out war that that would be after 2 million Venezuelan military, you know, after a 2 million man army in Venezuela fights against, you know, our forces as well. You're going to see lots of lives spent. You're going to see instability in that country and you're not going to see elections anytime soon. So let's, let me move on off of that subject. That is a very deep subject. That is my Eye in the Empire segment that I often do on this show. And uh, let me hop on to another subject as well. So you often hear politicians talk about the living wage that you, they want to have a, they want to make businesses or whatever pay a, a living wage to all individuals, right? And you wonder what on earth is a living wage? And what they talk about is, you know, if Walmart would pay a living wage, then you wouldn't have people that work at Walmart that are on welfare that are getting benefits from the government and so forth. Um, the The curious thing is that they never really define what a, a, what a living wage is, right? But you do hear it sometimes where they say $15 minimum wage is what we need because that's going to help a family to be able to, or a mother to be able to put food on the table to pay their rent and so forth and not have to work two jobs um, and and all that. You know, that's what they say. The thing is, is when they talk about if you were going to have the government decide, hey, we're going to have to give everyone or all businesses have to give up a a minimum wage that is a living wage. So let's say they said that we determined that $15 an hour is what a living wage is. That's a very subjective number because 
everybody spends their money differently, right? You can be somebody that lives on $7.25 an hour and has figured out how to do it. Maybe you live in a very modest trailer, but you're happy, right? You're happy making $7.25 an hour. I don't know how that would be the case. In my world, I couldn't live like that. But some people do. Some people are happy with where they're at. They struggle or whatever. But $7.25 an hour obviously is something that in my world, I would say, you know what? If I was stuck making $7.25 an hour, because I've I've worked minimum wage jobs when I was younger. I worked at Taco Bell as my first job. And that was back when the minimum wage was $4.25 an hour. Obviously, I'm 16 years old at that time. I was just happy to have a job. And I was able to have extra spending money. And that's it. But I didn't have to support a family. And I didn't have to have a... I didn't have to, you know, pay rent or anything like that. But the following summer, as soon as I found a job... I found a job at Disney World. Because I lived in... I grew up in Kissimmee, Florida at the time. And uh, you find a job at Disney World. And Disney World is now paying, I think it was... Six fifty an hour at the time, and to me, I'm getting going from four twenty five an hour to six fifty an hour, and to me, that was a huge deal. But I didn't say, yeah, I want to work at Disney World for the rest of my life at that point, right? I said, this is a good summer job. This is a good job to have while I'm in high school, and I moved on. And six twenty five an hour or six fifty an hour was great, and it made me move from Taco Bell to Disney World. But the person that's making four twenty five an hour needs to think to themselves in that situation, hey, how am I going to get more than four twenty five an hour? But you're a high school student. Do I really need to make a, a living wage at that point? Six fifty an hour back then wasn't even a living wage. But to me, it was great. So, but everyone spends their money different. And everybody has a job for dis- different reasons. So for me, my job at Taco Bell was because... I wanted to be able to have extra spending money. But I rode my bike there every single day to get to work. By the time I got to Disney World, I was able to afford to get a car. So I get my car, and now I have a insurance payment. I have gas payments and so forth. I didn't have a, I didn't have a car payment because we paid cash for that vehicle. But everyone has a job for different reasons. If you have a job and you're 18 and you're going off to college... You have a job for a way different reason than the kid that's 18 that graduated from high school and now he's going to go work for a construction company. The construction job, he's going to try to get as many dollars an hour as he can, but he might only be able to get $10 an hour or $11 an hour. He might still live at home, though, or he might not, so he's going to demand more, or he's going to try to figure out a way to get more money. So he might work for $10 or $11 an hour as a helper on a construction site, until he gets the ability and the, you know, the experience under his belt to start getting, a, or to go out and get a better job in that same field, right? So if he's a plumber, he might be a plumber's assistant, and then he moves into a becoming a plumber after a couple of years, and he's able to demand sixteen, seventeen, eighteen dollars an hour. But that's just moving up the ladder. But nobody should ever settle for that four twenty-five an hour that I had, or nowadays I think it's seven twenty-five an hour as minimum wage. Most people that work for the minimum wage, though, are some are people that are in a situation where they are starting off in the job in the workforce. But if you take that away from that person, if you say everybody has to make a living wage, well, everyone doesn't need a living wage, and that's not for politicians to decide. A kid that's working at Taco Bell 
is working for a completely different reason than the mom of two kids who just got divorced or had a deadbeat husband, right? Deadbeat boyfriend. Two completely separate situations. So that mom in that situation is working, if she is working for seven twenty-five an hour, then she damn sure better be getting the experience to get into a management role. And they do say like at McDonald's, you can get into a supervisory role pretty quick. And what I did see the other day, I'm driving down the road and there was a store, a grocery store that's going up near my house called Little. And uh, it's just a grocery chain that's, I think they're all over the United States now. And uh, they're compared to Aldi, if you ever heard of Aldi. And they, they, they were, I think they were paying sixteen fifty per hour to supervisors. So if you're at McDonald's working as a supervisor, making 12 bucks an hour, 15 bucks an hour, whatever, then it might behoove you to go with your experience as a supervisor to get that job at little. Who knows? But everybody has a different reason for working, but not everybody needs to say, I need a living wage because not everyone needs a living wage, right? So it's your decision. It's not a politician's decision. All that politician is going to do by making it so that all businesses nationwide have to pay a living wage is make it so that small businesses go out of business, make less opportunity for the people that are trying to get into the workforce, and then that causes lots of social destruction on the lower class. The very people you're trying to help get destroyed in that situation. And that's wrong. But that's a political thing. That's a way for these candidates to buy more votes, to pander to their base. Because their base is not thinking about that. Everybody spends their money differently. So a living wage is a very subjective term. Everyone has a different reason to be out there in the workforce. So the living wage is a, is a subjective term. If the federal government said you have to pay everybody a living wage, what, are you going to get out there and audit every single person on what they spend every single day to see what they need as their living wage? The person that spends $400 a month on lotto tickets? Is that person somebody that should be getting a a living wage at that point so they can spend more money on lotto tickets? That's their decision to spend their money on lotto tickets. But is the government's decision to get in there and tell them they can't? Is a living wage something that somebody should have where all they got is just enough to pay for the food in the house over their, you know, the roof over their head and the food on their table? And maybe a bus pass or, hold on, buses are not good enough for them. Maybe they should have enough money for a car then. And gas and insurance. Hold on, do they need to be able to go on vacation once a, once or twice a year? Should they be able to get to the beach and have a long weekend at the beach on Memorial Day weekend? Should there be enough in the budget at that point for them to fly to Europe once in their life? Should it should it be a living wage that's enough so they can save ten percent for retirement? Everybody spends their money differently. Everything is subjective, right? So. A living wage is completely different for the person that is very thrifty versus the person that is not very thrifty that would spend their money on lotto tickets for the person that, you know, goes out to eat five days a week, six days a week. Totally different than the mother at home that is scrounging to put food on the table, right? That's, or maybe not scrounging, but we have five kids and we have to make sure that we tighten that belt. That's a good thing to learn how to tighten that belt, to be honest with you. It's a good thing, though, for that person that is having to tighten that belt because then they are working their butt off to try to figure out a little bit 
another way to make a little bit more money. Maybe they'll start a little side hustle on the side because they're only making 10 bucks an hour and they got to feed a couple of kids. So they start a little side hustle on the side. Is that a bad thing? I don't think that's a bad thing, but a politician will make it sound like a bad thing. And that's what these politicians do. They pander to the person that is weak in their mind that's not going to think about these things. And I think that we need to, as a group, as a group of listeners of the show, as a group of libertarians, we need to get out there and challenge these people on these ideas constantly in a way that is constructive, though. And that's what I hope that you'll do. So anyway, guys, I appreciate you listening to the show. I had another topic I wanted to talk about today, but I, you know, let me just go through it really fast and just talk about it really briefly because I think it's uh, an important topic as well. Why on earth is Donald Trump not just, you know, sitting back and realizing the economy is good and I could run on this, right? Why is he getting into these whole bickering on Twitter? Why is he getting controversy out there? Like this week, he had a tweet that he was um, going to raise tariffs on China. Why? And then the, the stock market goes down, you know, by like 500 points that morning. I think it came back up. But why isn't he just resting on his laurels right now with a 3.2% unemployment rate, the lowest since 1968? So lowest in over a half a century. Why isn't he just resting on those laurels and just going forward and just looking to get reelected on that? I'm not sure. I think that his tweets... He just, he's uncontrollable on his tweets. He's going to always cause controversy. That's just the way that he is. But I think that there's a little bit more to it than that. Um, Obviously, there was some kind of, you know, he's about to go into some trade talks with China. And he's got to come in looking strong. He's got to come in looking aggressive. And I think that that's all he was doing. Um, But I also think that, the economy is probably going to, it's at highs right now, right? Especially the, the unemployment rate super low. GDP is looking good. Um, the Dow Jones is at like record highs right now. And so is the S&P and NASDAQ. I mean, it's nearing record highs. It's not exactly at the record highs that were about a year ago. But I think what he needs to do is he's trying to sort of manage some of that stuff. So if he can draw these trade talks out, for a couple more months, if he can make that happen, maybe even a, maybe in like another six, seven months, maybe eight months, then what he can do at that point is what because a lot a lot of a lot of economists have predicted that if these trade talks work out, then the Dow Jones will like go up like four or five thousand points, right? And if that happens, then that's going to look really good for his re-election campaign as well. So if he can drag this out for another six, eight, nine months or so, and then you got early next year, that economy, that that Dow Jones just starts skyrocketing, it's going to look good to people's pocketbooks, and I think that if that is the strategy, which I don't know if he's smart enough to think about that, but if that is the strategy, then it'll help him to get reelected, and it'll give nobody a leg to stand on when they're going against this guy, because the economy looks great, and people vote with their pocketbooks, right? So, is he smart enough to think like that? I have no idea. Uh, but it's possible, or it might be his advisor saying that. Who knows? Um, and I don't even know if I don't even know if a politician can manipulate the stock market and all that crap and the economy that well anyway. 
Uh, but we'll see. I mean, there's trillions of dollars still in the sidelines from printed money that the Federal Reserve printed. So, and that money is boosting up the economy still. It's, you know, I said that in a past episode that that trillion dollars is just sitting on the sidelines um, that the that the government printed or that the that federal government Federal Reserve printed back in 2009 through 2015. That money's just sitting there on the sidelines. It's coming out slowly. It's going to the larger corporations, the less risky investments. It's going to them first, and uh, if that if that starts to tumble, if that if though if those businesses start to crumble, then it's going to have a side effect of you know making the economy go down. So I don't know if a, if a president has the ability to manipulate things that much, but if he does, if he does do it the right way, if if he's doing it the way that I think he is, which is just like draw these trade talks out with China until early next year, it's going to be a way for him to coast into re-election as long as the economy keeps going strong. Now, his second term, it doesn't matter what happens because he's not trying to get re-elected at that point, right? Um, so he can... If, if there is going to be a crumbling of the economy, I think it would be 2020 after 2020 elections just because um, they will do everything that they can possibly do to make sure that nothing happens bad uh, going into 2020. Whether it means putting pressure on the Fed to print more money lower interest rates and so forth um they will do it because that's what the government does but anyway i appreciate you guys listening today i really do come on out and listen tomorrow you can do that by subscribing to the show and if you like what you hear give me a five-star rating and review share it with your friends as well uh and if you go to my website there is a place to uh go on there for supporting listeners if you want to become a supporting listener of the show uh, i will give you a shout out on the show if you do that as well uh you can do that on my website i think it's uh, i on backslash support uh, but if you just click on iandempire.com and then go to my little drop down menu, you'll be able to see where it says support as well. Uh, but go ahead and, you know, subscribe to the show and come on back and listen tomorrow and you'll have clear vision for 2020.